First City Focus is supported in part by Good Samaritan, a regional health care center offering a variety of services from primary care to same-day joint replacement surgery and more. Good Samaritan, online at gshvin.org. Duke Energy, powering the lives of its customers and communities, online at dukeenergy.com. And by Vincent's PBS members. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to First City Focus. I'm your host, Nicole Carey. On this episode, October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, a chance to honor those lives lost too soon and help those who are grieving for them. We'll find out how Good Samaritan Hospital is helping in this effort. Special training is underway to educate a variety of local professionals to help children affected by traumatic experiences in their life. We'll explain how this training is making a difference in our community. And the latest theatrical season is underway for the Old Town Players. We'll find out what shows will be hitting the stage this year. We'll have these stories and more right now on First City Focus. Unfortunately, one out of every four women experience pregnancy or infant loss in their lifetime. This traumatic loss not only affects those women, but also partners, family, and friends. And while the loss of what could have or should have been cannot be erased, there are resources to help in the grieving process. Joining me now to discuss more is Good Samaritan Hospital's Don Griggs. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. So back in 1988, President Ronald Reagan made the declaration making October Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month um, in, a role, in a way to recognize the, the unique grief that bereaved parents go through. In your role at Good Samaritan, um, you're the coordinator of the prepared childbirth classes, and you also serve on the grief support team. So you see both ends of the spectrum. Um, how do you prepare to come in and support those uh, mothers and families in a time of loss like this? Um, I think the biggest thing uh, for myself that I've learned through the years is to walk into that room and just realize that nothing that I say or can do um, can give those parents what they want. And what they want is a healthy baby. Mm -hmm. um, so I really, I just wish that no woman no family had to go through, you know, the loss of a miscarriage, uh, stillbirth, um, or an infant death. Um, so when I when I walk into those rooms, I really just want to convey sympathy and let them know that they're not alone. We all have a story. We all have our path. Um, but each person's grief is unique of what they're experiencing. So just going in with that open mind of knowing that I can't fix what is going on but I am there to offer you resources and support. And we've come a long way in our community with what we have. Um, Good Sam itself has a grief support team mm -hmm. um, that is coordinated by Penny Rewald and myself and some other girls have done extra training and extra things that we can reach out to these families in their time of need and be a support person mm -hmm. as they travel that road. Um, we have more things in the community. Mm -hmm. um, On Eden's Wings um, has a whole other group yes. of women um, and men mm -hmm. who have lent support. Um, they've donated resources and things that go into that for us. Mm -hmm. Do you think um, as a society as whole and here locally that it's something that used to be kind of taboo, uh, especially miscarriages? Um, do you think it's something that we are more 
out, outward talking about that helps in that supporting those who are grieving? Absolutely. Um, I myself even personally can speak on loss. Um, in 2004, I lost a baby at 20 weeks. Mm -hmm. And I think even assumed that I was an OB nurse, that I knew things, um, and then I had another loss in 2007. Mm. And even in those few years, there was changes. And have working um, in this area for 18 years now, we are so much better about recognizing it's okay to talk about it, and it's okay for each family to experience what they experience, whether it's early loss, middle of the pregnancy loss, or again, if an infant passes away with, you know, less than a year old, um, we are better about saying, it's okay, let's talk about this. It's okay to acknowledge this baby. Um, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be angry. Basically, again, kind of getting away from the taboo of, well, if we don't talk about it, we won't grieve. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. Um, interesting enough, I've even had older women who experienced losses mm -hmm. years and years ago, and they say that, you know, they weren't even allowed to see their baby. Mm. Um, so when we have, you know, a, a, a fetal demise, you know, as early as 14, 15 weeks, that's a baby. Mm -hmm. um, and so we acknowledge that parents need that opportunity to name their baby if they want to, hold that baby, and we try to create those memories um, at that time. Um, I know it's also maybe a, a chance that we've increased uh, education because we are talking about it more. Um, and so that maybe young mothers especially uh, are educated on what to look out for because um, many stillbirths maybe could be prevented in certain ways. Um, and, and what would you tell then, I guess, young mothers who are maybe um, going through this? Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, prenatal care is essential. Um, and women who want to be pregnant, preconception care is great. But a lot of times, you know, we get pregnant and then we have to go from there. So I always, you know, encourage women like learning things like kick counts, getting your regular prenatal visits are going to help decrease that risk of a loss. But most of the time, we never know why mm -hmm. the things that happen have happened. Um, most families don't get an answer when they've lost um, a baby, whether it's early or late. Um, but definitely, you know, that prenatal care, educating yourself on what's normal, what's not, reaching out to your providers, your nurses, you know, family and friends um, to help prevent, you know, the tragedy if we can. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you mentioned on Eden's Wings, um, with a lot of these circumstances, there's also financial hardships that come with it, a reminder of, of the tragedy, uh, the loss that they've suffered. But Eden, Eden's Wings is helping with that, and there are others, too, that, yes. that will will pitch in. What kind of resources are there for families? Yes, so we are very lucky um, on Eden's Wings, um, definitely has some financial things they can do for services, burial. We are lucky in this community. Um, we do have a strong support ne network. Even with our funeral homes here, mm -hmm. um, they sometimes will you know, take that cost and absorb it, um, whether that's cremation. Again, personal experience, um, you know, the, the funeral home that I used, they didn't, they didn't charge anything. Mm -hmm. The only thing that really became a cost was opening the grave to bury my baby. So we have a lot of support and a lot of resources to help offset some of those costs. Um, at Good Sam, we have the foundation who we can kind of look to them sometimes mm -hmm. and they'll help us um, with the cost because, again, 
you know, you, you can't put life support insurance on a, you know, fetus. And unfortunately, that is an unnecessary worry for mm-hmm. some families, but lots of things we can do to help with that. Um, especially when you think about, you know, one in four women affected. All of us know someone, if not personally, who have gone through this. Um, do you, what do you think is the most important thing that we can do as a community, as a whole, to help support and, and bring awareness to infant and pregnancy loss? I think just keep talking about it. Keep acknowledging that, again, it's okay to talk about loss. It's okay to acknowledge that loss. And as a um, individual, it's okay to grieve the way that we need to grieve. Um, again, with social media, there's there's groups, there's so much more advocacy out there um, for these women and families that have suffered a loss. So I think just, again, supporting one another and saying, it's okay. It's okay to be sad that you lost your baby. Um, and it's okay that you are grieving. Um, but it's also okay to smile and laugh mm-hmm. and have a good time and continue to live too, because it is, it is a journey. Grief mm-hmm. is definitely a journey for families. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here today. That was great. And we have more valuable resources on the handling of grief of pregnancy or infant loss. You can find a list of local resources on our website, vincentspbs.org. Another trauma that is incredibly too prevalent in our society today stems from abuse or neglect. According to the CDC, one in seven children experience childhood abuse or neglect, and that number may even be higher as a number of cases go unreported. Unfortunately, the trauma from such experiences doesn't end, and in most situations, it leads to costly adulthoods. The CDC says that in 2018, the total lifetime economic burden associated with childhood abuse and neglect was about $592 billion. Well, two Knox County residents are working to fight against this trend. News Director Shalina Barker gives you a look at how a special class is raising awareness. Class is in session at Pike Central High School. However, it's not just the students who are extending their educations. Local educators are as well. Leaders like Suzanne Blake, superintendent of Pike County Schools. She is just one of many educational leaders around southern Indiana taking part in ACE training. A stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. It's a short acronym that highlights the adversity students not just in southern Indiana, but across the country face. Sometimes there's a lot of baggage or interference that can keep them from being able to connect in the classroom. So anything we can do to help support them. Bill Lauffer is the program director for students having an alternative positive experience or SHAPE in Knox County. When students are suspended from schools in Knox County, instead of sending them home to hang out, they get sent here. Laffer gives students a place to catch up on their work as well as receive a little structure and mentoring. The job means he knows firsthand the many hardships a child can face. Most of the kids that that I deal with here are just so close to uh, being able to put it all together. They're working in school, they're doing the best they can, but just sometimes they just don't have the study skills to do it because nobody's ever shown them how to study or nobody's even told them, hey, you know, this isn't your fault. The things that happened to you in your life so far are not your fault. Laffer, along with the help of Kelsey Carr, has been educating community members across the area on ACE scores. It's a tally of different types of abuse, neglect, and other things that would make for a rough childhood. 
The higher the score, the more likely a student will have behavioral problems, not just in school, but later in life as well. A high A score can mean a higher risk of diabetes, smoking and vaping, alcohol and drug use, and even suicide. Outcomes that Lawfer hopes to stop while those at risk are still young. Science is proving that this generation of children, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th graders, are not going to live as long as we do because of all of the things that are going on. Now, if that doesn't make you want to go out and help, then I don't know what the hell does. we got to do something to turn this trend around and do something better for these kids. They deserve better. We got better. Why can't they have at least what we got? Kelsey Carr is the Director of Prevention Services at Children and Family Services in Vincennes. She's also Lawfer's partner in this initiative. She says this trauma can be passed down and often plagues families generation after generation. If you think back to when you were in school, I think everybody can kind of relate to a last name. So if they hear the last name, we'll say Smith, and the teacher gets Smith's brother, they say, oh no, it's Smith's brother, I know we're going to have a bad year. That is a generational cycle that we see from year, handed down year to year to year to year. If you stay in social work long enough, likely if you have, somebody's, uh, have somebody as a client, if you stay in there long enough, you're probably going to see their kid too. We see that generational trauma cycle all the time. It's time to break the cycle. Lopper and Carr say the cycle can be broken by learning how a brain experiencing stress will react to certain situations. Has that ever worked for anybody telling somebody to calm down when they're super, super upset? No, because there's a rational reason for it. This part of the brain is turned on, and when this part is turned on, this part is shut off. Okay, so we need to give them a minute. From there, educators, community members, and even parents can address the situation on an individualized basis. Unfortunately, we come from a background of everybody needs to be treated the exact same way in this, in this cookie-cutter way, and that's just not how it works. Um, my stress and your stress, we could have the same stress number, we could have the same uh, ACE number, but my stress could happen to me every single day for 18 years of my life. Yours could have happened four times in your life. You don't treat those same people the same way. you got to figure out what's going to work best for that child and then work with that child. So that's what makes it difficult for, this, difficult for schools. Sometimes I, I get caught up in, you got to do this. So it helps me to, to take, that, you know, take that step back and realize, when I, I call it their baggage, you know, that they're coming to me with a lot of baggage. But I have to be reminded of that because sometimes grades, they couldn't do their homework, they couldn't get their Chromebook charged. And sometimes it hits really hard when a, a kid says, I, didn't, I don't have any electricity. I mean, so I got to remember that. Both Lawfer and Carr know they can't prevent the trauma that's already happened in a child's life. But everyone can play a role in making sure their A score doesn't get any higher. I really want to look at how we can help support the students, help support one another. Um, as we move forward. It makes me passionate about it because it's something that can be fixed. It's not, you know, it's not so far gone that we can't fix it. I want my children to grow up in a place that's better than when I entered it. Um, and I hope that they feel the same and will continue that trend. All they need is one person to step up, one adult person to step up and be their, their peer and their mentor and help them out. And their life is going to be a whole lot different. Lawfer and Carr's mission to prevent childhood trauma doesn't end here. They'll continue to provide the information communities need to break cycles and provide a better future for the next generation. 
Reporting for First City Focus, I'm Shalina Barker. The Pike County School Corporation isn't done with ACES training yet. The next step is for educators to decide how they'll implement the information within their classrooms. And ACE score information isn't just for educators and organizations. Bill Walfer and Kelsey Carr invite anyone who wants to learn to reach out. And if you go to our website, vincentspbs.org, we have the information for you to do just that. Well, believe it or not, since 1977, the Old Town Players have been entertaining local residents through theatrical shows. Their latest season is underway and promises to keep audiences engaged. OTP's Sherry Phillips and Vicki Puffer join me in studio now to tell us all about it. Thanks for being here, ladies. Thank, Thank you, you for, for having, having us. us. So your latest season is underway. How is it going so far? It's going just great. Uh, we're right in the middle of the Halloween double feature right now. You get two shows for the price of one. So the first up is going to be the best haunted house ever, mm -hmm. and then followed immediately by 10 ways to survive the zombie apocalypse. And that, that show starts on October 14th and runs through the 23rd. Yes, it'll be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then the following weekend, Friday and Saturday shows are at 7, and Sunday shows are at 3. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the best haunted house ever. What's the premise of the story? Well, the it's two rivaling high schools mm -hmm. want to put together a haunted house. And they've chosen to, to use the same place, but something starts haunting them. Mm -hmm. And so that's what basically the show ends up being, is trying to find out who's really haunting whom. Okay. And the 10 ways to survive the zombie apocalypse. That's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, we all expect that zombie apocalypse any day now. <laughs> so we want to get all of the ways that we can to, uh, to survive it. Mm -hmm. And Bill and his performers are going to show us just exactly how to do it. Okay. Um, and if anybody wants to attend a performance, um, do they need to buy tickets ahead of time or can they show up the day of? They can show up the day of. We start selling tickets about a half hour mm -hmm. uh, ahead of show times. And at the theater, they cost $15 for adults, 12 for seniors, 60 plus, mm -hmm. 12 for students uh, who are 12 and through college, and then $5 for children who go up to uh, under 12. Okay. And I know for, the, uh, for this production, you needed quite a few kids and adults to help mm -hmm. fill, fill the roles. Um, so what's that process like? Well, auditions. Anybody mm -hmm. is welcome to come to auditions. Uh, we don't turn anybody away. Um, usually, unless it's a musical, nothing has to be prepared. Uh, just come and they do readings and they get as many of the people in as they possibly can. Sometimes they'll even create little roles, even if they're walk-ons for some of the people, if they have more people show up than they need in the play. Um, and we love new people. Mm -hmm. So if you've ever thought about it, show up mm -hmm. and go through the yeah, process. now's the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, and auditions are coming up for your next r round right. of performances. Um, you'll have auditions on October 17th and 18th for A Christmas Carol and The Grouch. Well, actually, we have changed those dates just a little bit. Okay. Um, since the cast for those two shows is going to be from ages 8 
to 14, mm -hmm. we thought it might be easier for parents to have one of our audition days be on a Saturday. Okay. So Saturday, October 15th, we're going to have auditions from t uh, 10 a.m. to noon. Mm -hmm. And then we will go ahead and have them on Monday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Okay. And then after a week or so, then we will start rehearsals on the 24th. Okay. And a Christmas carol, a, a traditional mm -hmm. setting of the Christmas carol? Yes, it is. It's condensed to 45 minutes, so you'll be getting a double feature show again. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Kathy Mooney and I are both directing those shows. And then the second play is The Grouch. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you can tell what it might be kind of based on. And a, a green fellow, a green fellow <laughs> who really doesn't like a certain time of year. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we are going to do that one. And again, it'll it'll take place in about 45 minutes. So uh, you get two shows for the price of one. And we need at least 25 to 30 uh, young people to fill our cast. So we really do want to encourage people to come and audition. I've had a lot of people wanting to know what our audition times are like because these mm -hmm. are going to be younger children. And we're going to go from 6 o'clock to 7.30, Monday through Thursday. If they're not in both shows, then they'll only have to come on the nights they, they are in the show. So we're doing our very best to make the rehearsal schedule accommodate younger mm -hmm. kids. And we, we want to see new people, people who have never set sta foot on stage before. Um, we are welcoming them, and we've got plenty of people there to show them the way. Yeah. Uh, what does it mean to you to be able to keep the Old Town Players going, like I said, since 1977? So 45 years of entertaining the local area. What's it like uh, keeping it going? Well, <laughs> at times it's real challenging. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is a very old building that needs a lot of loving care. And we are in the process of doing some updates right now. Um, but where else are you going to get live entertainment? Mm -hmm. I mean, VU does a few shows, and but I mean... It, it's it's a dying thing. There's a lot, you know, a lot of people go, I've never been to a live show. Well, mm -hmm. come. There's mm -hmm. a place to see them. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have a lot of fun. It's more like a family than it is mm -hmm. anything else. I mean, usually if you come to one or in one plate, you're hooked, you're back. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and then you're auditioning. And then yeah. you're, yeah. And then you're in it for life. Yeah. Because it takes a community to help support community theater. Right. And there are several ways that folks can help if they don't want to be on stage. There are other roles that they can sure. play. Sure can. Uh, we set, all, set design yeah, and construction. always need people to con construct the sets, to help paint the sets, to work backstage during a play, um, to move scenery, to help sell tickets. Yeah, I, I do the tickets. I take tickets, but I always have to have people to pass out programs, help with refreshments, pop the popcorn. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're just wanting to come and if you volunteer to work a show, you get in free. There you go. Yeah. So if somebody wants to come and see the show, mm -hmm. call me. We can put you to work and you get to see the show free. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we're also always needing people to work up in our tech booth, running the lights and sound. And we train. So okay. you don't have to know anything. We will mm -hmm. train you and help you get up there. If you've never acted on stage before, this is the best environment that you could possibly choose to mm -hmm. make your debut. Everybody wants you to succeed. Mm, and right. they will be there for you. 
And so it's just a wonderful family of misfits and, and <laughs> entertainers. Mm -hmm. And um, you just can't find that hardly anywhere else. Thanks for being here. Thank Thanks you. for having us. To find out more about the Old Town Players and their productions this season, just visit our website, vincentspbs.org. And now for our final focus. Tucked away in the hills of Martin County, you will find the bluffs of Beaver Bend, 210 acres of forestry just outside of Shoals, which also feature the sandstone cliffs towering over the White River. Native Americans used the bluffs as shelter, while according to local folklore, moonshiners, bootleggers, and gangsters also use the geological wonderland for their own benefit. Some even say there is still buried treasure to be found there. As photojournalist Dave Novak shows us, no matter if the folklore is true or not, the Bluffs of Beaver Bend is a rare gem in southern Indiana. And that's all for this edition of First City Focus. For everyone here at Vincent's PBS, I'm Nicole Carey. We'll see you back here next week. First City Focus is supported in part by Good Samaritan, a regional health care center offering a variety of services from primary care to same-day joint replacement surgery and more. Good Samaritan, online at gshvin.org. Duke Energy, powering the lives of its customers and communities, online at dukeenergy.com. And by Vincent's PBS members. Thank you.